unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Today we have a conversation, and I believe God's mandate for us tonight is somewhere in 2 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, the 5th verse. Paul gives us a very strong admonishment. And this fundamentally is one of the most distinctive pillars of living a successful life, walking in faith. He said, if you read the Amplified Version, examine, there are three words that are given, and test, and evaluate your own selves to see whether you are holding to your faith and showing the proper fruits of it. Test and prove yourselves. And he says in brackets, not Jesus Christ. You don't need to prove Jesus Christ because whether you prove him or not, he's proved. He's a man approved of God, okay? He says, do you not yourselves realize and know thoroughly by ever increasing experience that Jesus Christ is in you unless you are counterfeit, disapproved, on trial and rejected? Do you not yourselves know that Jesus is by an ever increasing experience in you now, before I even go deeper, I want to touch what you call an ever-increasing experience in you. Because that's supposed to be the life of a believer. When you say you have believed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says that may Christ through your faith dwell in you. When Jesus Christ dwells in you, he is supposed to be an ever-increasing experience. He's supposed to be an ever-increasing experience. He's not just a static mark in your life that affirms your way and purpose, but he's an ever-increasing experience as he continues to unravel the way of life. Because God has not designed eternity in visible lenses. The optics of that is the fundamental experience of what we Christians call mystery, okay? Christ is a mystery to be demystified. God is a mystery to be demystified. He is hidden, but the Bible says he dwells in a light <laughs> where which no man can what? Can approach unto. That means there's a hiding of things. And hence the Greek word called apocalypsis, the unveiling of things. And we are all here, veiled or unveiled, according to the realities with which we have connected to by God. It's your degree of awakeness. He says, arise ye or sleeper that Christ my shine in you. You are as functional in the physical realm as you are awakened in the spiritual, as you are unveiled in the spiritual. Because you have not seen one sort of phenomena, it does not mean that it does not exist. The realities of the spirit cannot be disqualified based on your subjective reasoning. You know, we have people who say, ah, you know, me, I don't think that happens. Do you know that people who don't believe in divine healing? Did you know? They don't believe in divine healing. There are people who don't believe in divine healing. But, some of us believe in it. I see people here 
who are on deathbed. I see people here who are healed of diseases that are incurable. I see your faces. We've seen God heal that. But there are people who don't believe that. And because they don't believe in that, they think, ah, that cannot happen. That should not be right. One man of God said, the way that ministry is growing, it can't be God. So, is he? <laughs> he demystified and said, because that ministry is growing that way, it cannot be God. Can you imagine? So he has a fixed mark in his head of how ministry should grow. <laughs> Somebody shout hallelujah. And so it is with other aspects of life. And the humility of the spirit is to know that you might not know everything. And the humility to learn. The humility to learn. I learn me, I'm a very teachable spirit. I don't know how many times I've crossed, okay, this one I got wrong and then I correct it. Because it's just the way of the Spirit. God will unveil things for you. You see what I'm saying? Otherwise, if you cannot get to that place, you can never leave a distinctive mark in your generation. See, there's a difference between touching and changing a generation. Every change requires moves. And there are four, I believe, distinctions of how moves can be burst. Now, I can talk that from a ministry perspective, but even if you're not a minister, you can what? Well, in your business world, in your career world, in your whatever world God has given you, you can actually leave a mark in your technology world. You can leave a mark. There's a mark that bats this, okay? Because if it's either not revolutionary, okay, it's reformation. You see, like the Martin Luther doctrine, the 1500s was a reformational experience for the church. It had come before through men like John Hus and Whitfield and the like, but it had not yet stuck until one man met it and started teaching it distinctively. Do you know that more than 100,000 people were killed in one year because of that Lutheran doctrine, justification through faith? That 95-page thesis on the Wittenberg Church claimed more than 100,000 deaths in one year because it was a threat to every foundation of the system of the church that they had found there, which now is actually present day acceptable in every church, or at least in most churches. Unfortunately, some ministries are going back again from that doctrine, but majority of us are preaching the same doctrine or are at least agreeable with that. You see what I'm saying? And if it's not reformational, then it has to come with a radical spirit. <laughs> Some people are radicals. They have to do something that is radical in a generation. If it doesn't come through radical, it will come through some sort of rebellion. And could be that not all rebellions are actually evil. Some rebellions are godly. Some rebellions are not godly. And some movements are a mixture of both. Either you have radicals with reformers or you have rebels which are revolutionary. Does that ring a bell? Do you understand what I'm saying? And so it is with the spirit. So it is with the spirit. Some are a mixture of all. Some are one of, or some are two of. And all of these actually have distinctive marks and patterns of how they function and how they end. That's a whole teaching on that. But it begins with what vision God has impressed on your spirit. Because you must know the power of that vision. You must know the power of what you have seen in God. We have many believers in the world who have not seen God yet. Oh yeah, they've had a few visions instructing them in the simpler ways of life. But they have not understood the dream of God upon their life. Somebody shout Amen. 
So that's why the spirit realm is unveiled, apocalypsis. And once that is unveiled for your eyes to see and the right light shines on what you must see, because it's important for the light to shine on what you must see and your eyes to see, okay? Then that is the basis of building what you call revelation, if it comes in understanding. And it's not enough if it's progressive, you see? It is made full if it carries a core, which is absolute, epignosis, you see? And once that revelation of God can be aligned to purpose, that's the fullness of it. So in the world of men, what you will leave to be seen of is one which is manifesting some sort of distinctive thing. Whether you're a business person, it's some sort of distinctive thing. Somebody was interviewing Elon Musk and they asked him, how would you do this? Then he tells them that um, he suffers from uh, the spectrum of autism called Asperger's. And then he said, I don't think that if I did not have Asperger's, I would think this way. And I don't think if I didn't think this way, I would be the richest man in the world. So something had opened up in the spirit realm on this guy on what was an autistic spectrum and opened his mind to function and see dimensions many people are not able to see. Look at all the, all the inventors, Thomas Edison, Nikola Tesla. You go mentioning all of those people and you will see that there is something they connected to in the spirit that was not usual. It was not usual. Are you following what I'm saying? So you cannot be pragmatic and one or two dimensional and expect to change your world. It's not possible. It cannot happen. It cannot happen. And so even sometimes when we're preaching, we're trying to push some of you to see what you must see. Paul says, and to whom I'm least of all saints was given unto me this grace to preach the unsearchable. I saw things that are unsearchable. He says, I saw things which are unsearchable. He calls them the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. They were unsearchable. He says, I'm not in the realm of the seeker. They're in the realm of the positioned. You must understand how to position yourself in the spirit realm. One invention like this from you can change the world. One dream like this can change the world. You know that. You know that. One dream like this. Albert Einstein said in his own words that he dreamt E equal MC squared, the theory of relativity. He dreamt it in a dream and it has changed the whole world. Somebody shout hallelujah. So we live in that constant world of unveiling of things. Whatever God gives you through the word is to open your eyes to see. It's to open your eyes to see. And so it's hard when you're living in a world where you have seen what many people are not able to see. It's a very lonely place. It's a very lonely place. And awkward. Somebody shout hallelujah. Back to what I was saying. So Paul tells us, you see, one of the fundamental pillars of living a successful and effective life of faith is to live a life which examines, tests, and evaluates itself, whether it be in the faith, whether it's holding fast to his faith, to continuously prove and exercise yourself why? Because God cannot give you such an instruction when he does not know or when it's not obvious that you are bound, even with your highest level of faith, to lose it sometimes. 
Otherwise, he would not tell you to examine yourself, exercise yourself, do all you have to do to make sure that you are aligned to the faith with which you must carry every day. Because faith is not the thing you must apply when you're under the hardest circumstances. Faith is supposed to be a lifestyle you live whether you're asleep or awake. And it is important for you to know how to, the Bible calls it, guarding whatever was given to you. Guard that deposit, the Bible calls it. Guard that deposit which was given to you. Guard and keep with greatest care the precious and excellently adapted truth which has been entrusted to you by the help of the Holy Spirit. Because one thing to receive it, it's another to keep it. It's another to guard it. It's another to guard it. And so we have Christians who have this life where they can believe God and see amazing things. And then tomorrow that same person is in the dumps. They are broken, they are shattered, they are torn, they are weak, they are beggarly, they are dead. Why? Because they don't know how to keep it. They don't know how to keep it. The effect of such a life is that you're going to live a life of ups and downs. Every time you're living lives of ups and downs, steps in front, steps behind. And I'll explain that a bit later. Bible says, let me teach some of you something. Bodily exercise profiteth but little. Doesn't the Bible say so? But spiritual exercise, which Paul calls godliness, is profitable for the life that now is and the life that is to come. What does that mean? That like you live physically, some of you are health freaks. You watch all them channels that teach you how to feed right, how to eat right, how to exercise and keep your cardios and what. And some of you, you have those books in your house and they're there. You know, you wake up in the morning to... And unfortunately, after doing all of that, you go knock yourself out with some high-protein diet and a heavy carbohydrate and then take coffee and zonk out. And then the next day nothing is changing on you. You're actually gaining more weight even as you're doing exercise because you're eating more than you are burning. Are you following? But the Bible says it's actually profitable, but it profits a little. It profits a little, but it's profitable. So I'm not against exercise. You know, I encourage some of you to do exercise because it has little profit. But he said, but there's something called godliness. In one portion of scripture, he calls it exercising yourself unto godliness. That portion of scripture there. He says you exercise yourself unto godliness. That means like you go to the gym. You've seen those guys who go to the gym and they build muscle and they become so much when they're the hulk. You know, so big guys like this. And some of them are used to stand on clubs. The guy stands and says, you are not going to enter. And you look at the guy and say, okay, <laughs> sorry. Find it in your heart to forgive me. Why are you still here? You know why? Because you met a big fellow. Now, and then you have the smaller little skinny guys. Even when the wind is blowing it. You. you understand? And so imagine a very skinny little guy. I'm not talking about moderate. I'm talking about skinny. Bone upon bone. Flesh upon flesh. And then he's finding this big, macho, tall guy. And then he's telling him, I will beat you. <laughs> you know what that looks like? Like it is physical. But there are people with muscle. And some are very skinny and small people with no muscle. Zero fat. Nothing. So it is also with the spiritual. Except that in the spiritual, the irony is 
that you might find a very much a big guy physically, but spiritually is that little whiny puny thing. Uh-huh. And then you find also like a guy is very small like this. He fasts a lot. He doesn't even walk with any mouth at all. But the boy in the spirit or the woman in the spirit is big. That's a person who is exercised. In the spirit realm, God has called you to learn how to build yourself. And if you can build yourself, definitely you can tear yourself down. Do you understand what I'm saying? So there are aspects that God has given us or things God has set in scripture for you to be able to build yourself. For example, the word. Right now as you're listening, you're building that inner man. You're feeding him, you know. So you understand why David says, I desired your word more than necessary food. Imagine these men desired the word more than necessary food. Like you cannot wake up and not eat food. These guys would not wake up and not connect to the word. And let me tell you something. For so many years, that's the life I've lived. I've never gone to bed without learning something from God. It has been so many years. Maybe 15 and more. Because every day there must be a place where you must build yourself up in God. You see what I'm saying? So, the Bible tells us the other thing. It talks about speaking in tongues. Praying in tongues is a builder. He that prays in tongues, the Bible says, builds himself up. So when you say people, oh, I don't believe in tongues. What? What? You don't believe in tongues? He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies himself. You build yourself up as an edifice, one version says. So when you speak in tongues, you're building yourself up. One scripture says, building yourself up in your most holy faith. Because faith is built. Speaking in tongues. The life of prayer is a life of building self. You watch believers who pray today, tomorrow, they don't pray. You realize they're the ones on counseling lines every time. You'll see a correlation between people on the counseling line and people who don't have a consistent life of prayer. Today you pray, tomorrow you're on your bed. Father. Then you wake up as three. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Jesus, in Jesus' name, I rebuke you. <laughs> you even start rebuking the very Lord you're talking to. Why? Because your spirit is lazy. You see what I'm saying? And if your spirit is lazy, chances are that anything can come into your spirit. Did you know there's such a thing as a, an indifferently loud spirit? Did you understand what that means? Some spirits are indifferently so loud. They are connected to every acoustic in the universe. Both that which is beneficial and that which is not beneficial. Live along the expedient and lawful. That's even a harder conversation for the mature. Because as you mature, you separate. You know, when you're still younger, you're learning to separate darkness, light. Eh? If you separate precious from the vile, I shall make you my mouthpiece. And there's a man who communicates from that realm. They separate precious and vile. They can separate what's bad and what's not bad. That's one realm. But as you continue and God chisels you, as God continues to prune you and break you and you go into higher levels of consecration, you meet the lawful and expedient. They are all right. They are all true and they are all accessible to you and you can do it. You can actually apply yourself to them. But then you now have to separate, like Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are expedient. 
all things are lawful, listen, for me. At first it was to me, so I have access. For me, I can apply myself and use, but not all things that defy me. Not all things that defy me. So that maturity from precious and vile, evil and good to now, oh, this is good. But in that which is good, what is permissible and what is perfect? It's a good thing to marry a born-again Christian. And there are people who are just there. Just get me some church girl. Father, anybody, as long as he's born again, that's enough. That's where you are. Congratulations. It's a good place. <laughs> you have obeyed all right and heaven will not disqualify you for that. It's a pattern, at least for the ordinary and the predictable sort. But when you are uniquely called of God, you don't ask for a Christian girl. You don't ask for a Christian man. Because it has purpose to it. Remember when Hannah went to God to pray? She was barren. She goes into the temple. When Hannah entered the temple, she did not say, Father God, I ask for a child for Elkanah. No. The Bible says, if you will indeed look at the affliction of your handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thy handmaid a man child. Then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life and there shall no razor come upon his head. She has committed a Nazirite vow on a male child because she just didn't want to give birth. Her womb just didn't want to carry a child. There's purpose in their calling her distinctively a mark that is going to raise the next judge and prophet of Israel. And that kind of woman is not looking for a baby. That kind of woman is looking for some kind of baby. You see, permissible, perfect, expedient, lawful. When you learn that, even your prayer life changes. You learn to be a bit more specific according to the vision of God in what he assured you. Your prayer life is consecrated deeper. You don't pray like ordinary men. Oh no, there's a person right now saying, I need a job and you're not wrong to ask for that and God can give you that job. You're not wrong. I'm not disqualifying who you are. But as you continue to grow, you realize it's more than getting a job. It's purpose. You see, now you start to separate those things. So we have people who don't even separate those things. They cannot separate those things. They cannot separate those things. So back to what I was trying to tell us here. I don't want us to lose the point that I was trying to give us. So you have people who physically, they have learned or they are learning to invest, okay, in their spirit through prayer, like I said, fasting, the word, and many of those things. But what are you doing? You are exercising yourself. You are exercising yourself unto godliness. It's one of those most profitable things every Christian should be exercised into. You see? So when they say that's a godly man, some of you remember your old religious priests who walk in church like... No. <laughs> that doesn't make a man godly. No, no, it's not godly with that. It's not godly with that. It's an experience with God. Remember Jesus in the beginning, I said, is an ever-increasing experience. The Jesus you should know now should be deeper than the Jesus you knew in 1994. That's why the pattern of the church is from glory to glory, from faith to faith, from power to power, from victory and to victory, from knowledge to knowledge. That's how the life of the Spirit is supposed to be like. It's progressive and elevating. The path of the just shines brighter and brighter and to a perfect day. The longer they live, the brighter they shine. When you are 80, people will look at you 
and they'll not be able to look at you because of the brightness that shall come from the countenance of God that you shall wear. That's the way of the right living people. Your life must be progressive. Somebody say, my life must be progressive in Jesus' name. Yes, you have planted that seed. You have planted that seed. So, Paul is telling us here that like you have those physical guys, there are also those physical macho bodybuilders, wrestlers. You also have men who are like that spiritually. And you also have women who are like that spiritually. In the spirit realm, it's different. So the life of faith builds your muscle. You are as strong as you are in faith. And you are as weak as you are in faith. And as you continue to elevate in the way of faith, you will be so shocked at how easy, how easy. You see, when you understand how faith works, you know, as the Bible says, when the iron is sharpened, you don't use much strength. It's like a, a knife. Yeah? If the axe is wet, the Bible says, if you wet the edge, then you will not put so much strength. And then it says wisdom is profitable to direct. Now, this is a pattern only men of wisdom can understand. And that that's just the way of wisdom. Because when the wisdom of God comes on your life, things will become effortless. You will not need to do so much to move the spirit realm. You will not need to do so much to change things. You actually command things and just there and then. When you understand that wisdom, even as a minister, demonstrating power will be so easy because it's not something you're doing from so much exercising. You're already exercised. When you get on the pulpit and you exercise, it's different from a person who is just going to first exercise. But if you have lived a life of constant exercise, you don't go on the pulpit to seek God. You go on the pulpit to perform. To perform what you have been doing in your closet. That's why I tell people, never confuse fellowship. Fellowship is not a place <laughs> where you're supposed to be fanned into flame. Fellowship is a place where you must come to connect with other flames. He says, when you come in the name of the Lord, brethren, let him with a psalm, a hymn, spiritual song, a doctrine, a tongue, a revelation, let him bring all and let it all be done in the edifying of many. That's supposed to be church. Church is not supposed to be the place where you come and you're lit and then you go back and come cold and then you come back and you're lit and then you come back. No, no, no. Place is supposed to be a place where you come so lit that when you raise your hands to worship God, the person next to you can tell she has been with Jesus. Bible tells us they look at the eloquence of Peter, the eloquence of Peter. The distinctive mark there was not the semantics. It was not how he arrayed and arranged the language. No, if you study the Greek there, it was the authority through which this man spoke and how ordained and arranged the oracles were. And the Bible says they marveled and took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. A man who is in constant fellowship with Jesus has some sort of vocabulary. And it's not English or Luganda or your mother tongue. That's first, second dimension. That's pragmatic. I'm talking about the things that you must know how to communicate to and those things must be able to hear you. Oh! That you cannot come out with Jesus and not have an answer. The issue of language. Otherwise, people confuse it for the languages of the world. Paul actually tells you I was a man of poor speech. If you had Paul, you'd get bored and sleep yourself out. But even in that weakness of speech, 
So was the revelation to lay the foundation of the New Testament. Can you believe that one of the most boring men in history had the anointing to lay the foundation? He was a master builder, but he says, my speech was contemptible. Oh, but he says, but the power of God, the power of God in me communicated. There's something the authority of the Spirit can communicate. <laughs> ah, yeah, 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 yeah. There's something the authority of the Spirit can speak. It can introduce, it can align, it can command, it can instruct. It does quite a lot. And you need that language. You need that language. Somebody shout hallelujah. So, back to what I was saying here. So he's telling us to examine ourselves. In other words, make sure every time your faith is tested, you are at par, you are in agreement, and you are attuned and aligned. Otherwise, it might come a day where your faith is down and it might actually destroy you. Some people have just died like that because something in there is not working. There's a mystery called the core because everything, the integrity of a thing, the essence of a thing, is in its core, it's in its foundation, it's in its nature originally. Like you have a man, spirit, soul, body. Your core is what? Spirit. You see what I'm saying? And now the Bible says in Proverbs that the spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity. That if your spirit is aligned well, there is nothing that can kill you. In fact, it's best preached in the Amplified Version because the Amplified Version says the strong spirit of man will sustain him in bodily pain or trouble. But a weak and broken spirit can bear or raise up. But listen, if you don't learn to strengthen your inner man, Paul calls him strengthened with might. In the inner man through the spirit. You see, that inner man. That guy carries your core. He's your essence. Nothing outside it has a bearing. Even if they said you had stage four cancer, terminal, palliative, and they're supposed to refer you somewhere. But that inner man is built and aligned. Cancer cannot kill you. It cannot kill you. It cannot kill you. But let me tell you, even if you're the most healthy person and you left the doctor's room and they told you you have a clean bill of health, you can walk out and fall dead. Because God does not minister from the surface. And I tell people, the evidences of surface are inconsequential when it comes to the will of faith. And do you know, everything in the world of men, doctors, or everything doctors see is surface. That's why some of you have been in hospitals, they diagonize surface this, surface that. Because it's the surface. Blood is surface. MRI machines are surface. X-ray machines, that's all want to look into you, but really into your body, not into you. Everything men see is surface. And Paul gave that underlying law that governs the things that can be seen. He said they are temporal. Why? Because they're subject to corruption. They're all in the fallen world. They're temporal. But he says, but the things you do not see are eternal. Now everybody says that, but they forget that Paul was talking to believers who had a bearing and revelation of what it means to function and connect to the eternal realm. And this is a very hard thing to explain to somebody who doesn't understand what the eternal realm is. To a man who doesn't understand the eternal realm, even that which is seen can become permanent. Did you understand what I'm saying? You find a Christian telling you, oh, you know, I have an incurable disease. What? You have an incurable disease? That means you don't have a bearing of the eternal realities. Nothing that can be seen 
is permanent, whether by microscope or otherwise. Anything that a doctor can trace in your blood is temporal. Hey! Somebody shout hallelujah. Anything your physical eye can see is temporal. Anything on the surface is temporal. It's subject to change. But that which is the core is eternal. Some of you must understand that the challenges you're dealing with, you are blaming every surface thing. My doctor, my lawyer, my teacher, my husband, my child, my business, my school, you know, this government. Everything is always around. You're always blaming things and people because you've never looked into your core. You've never looked into your core. And then it has refused. I think this is not the right man of God. Let me go to this prophet. Let me go to this pastor. Let me go to this apostle. There's an apostle. When you go, everything will be changed. No, 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 listen. It has to go back to your core. It has to go back to your core. Every fruit is propagated, is defined, is built, grows according to the integrity of its seed. It's perpetuated according to the integrity of its core. So when Jesus says you shall know them by their fruit, every kind of fruit you carry in this life, the core is your seed. Your seed is your core. What began this? How did it begin? How did you begin that marriage? How did you begin that ministry? How did you begin that vision? How did you begin that business? The core is key. Otherwise, you're going to blame everybody and everything for messing you up. Why? Because you see, our biggest hindrance in life, and never forget this, is the flesh. This is the biggest hindrance to our faith. Nothing in this world hinders the human spirit like the flesh. For example, why can't you walk in air? Gravity pulls this dude down. You see what I'm saying? But there was a man who had this dude and walked on water. You see what I'm saying? So everything, that's why the Bible speaks of being carnally minded is to die. Carnal, carnal mindedness is death. And every now and then, all of us find ourselves sometimes in the carnal because we have not exercised ourselves. So the essence of that exercise is to stay out of the canal, your hindrance. Otherwise, you are as canal as you can accept everything that you feel or you're diagnosed of or everything that you see as to be true. Nothing you see is true. It's subject to change. It's temporary in its nature or essence. That's how they're made. So we have people who live so much and to be carnally or to be in the flesh, the Bible has said, is death. And the Greek word there for flesh is sarx, S-A-R-X. It not only means this physical body, but did you know it also means emotions? In other words, when you grow in God, your emotions must be attuned to the way of truth. Some of you, you are too emotional to be restored, to be redeemed, to be healed, to be delivered, to be aligned, to be restored. Nothing can. And your problem is that that's what it means to be carnal fleshly. You're too emotional. Everything offends you. You're quickly hurt. You're just a wreck. You're there. You're garbage. You're waiting for anything to snap you. You're an explosion waiting to happen. And you don't know that that carnality has a huge effect on everything so far that you are in concerning your destiny. Because many people do not know how to connect those two things. I always tell people that there are two fundamental pillars of a prudent spirit. Meditation and contemplation. To learn to meditate is to ponder on a thing and creating the image or vision of the purpose of God concerning that thing and to matter 
because God needs the creative essence of whatever your vision carries. That's meditation. And then this world of contemplation is the world that allows your mind to think in divine law. The reconciliation of knowledge and what? And experience. Knowledge and experience. To be able to discern and judge things the way of God. Paul says, with my mind, I serve the law of God. That's the secret of contemplation. And we have many believers who don't contemplate. In other words, they cannot allow their mind to serve the law of God, to be aligned and renewed according to the law of God. Their mind is always absent. They yield their spirits easily. They fast, they pray, they do all of that. But their mind is not present in the work of God. And so the wisdom of God is wanting. What is on them is contrary to what is in them. Are you following what I'm saying? What is on them is contrary to what is in them. Why? Because they don't understand how to contemplate. They don't understand how to think. So they cannot connect two things. That actually, that what you did here has a very long ripple effect on what is happening in the next 10 or 15 years of your life. The scientists have something they call butterfly effect. How this universe is correlated with many activities and things that work together or provoke other things. That, for example, the flapping of wings of the butterflies can actually start a tornado. But because you don't see how a tornado connects to the flapping of the wings of butterflies, you will never know that tornadoes can be affected by the flapping of wings of butterflies. <gasps> what? Yes, those little small things that can actually become mountains. So it is the way of faith that there are those little things you do but can have a big deal of influence an effect on your life beyond what you could ever imagine. They can actually kill your destiny and cancel your assignment and you stay with your gifting. Because God doesn't take gifts. They are without repentance. That's the thing I fear most about God. You see what I'm saying? That the methane, the, those little, you know, things that come out of ants, eh? they emit something like methane or something. It has a ripple effect on uh, global warming. How an ant, a scientist can explain how what comes out of an ant has an effect on whether it will rain or not. And you can't see the difference because you see the bigger ones, trees. Let us plant trees. You understand what I'm saying? So there are those little small things that you can do but can affect the bigger part of your destiny and you will never know it because you're emotional. You're not exercised to self-control. I'll give us an example. Let me give you a typical example. Did you know that the spirit realm is ranked? Oh, yes, you do. The Bible says, each marching in their own rank. None shall break their ranks because it's spiritual discipline to know how to keep your rank and to know how to grow your ranks spiritually. We're not equal. So there are people who are above you. There are people who are your peer. There are people who are below you. Whether you accept it or not, it's a fundamental principle in this world. And whether you obey it or respond to it or not, it doesn't matter how much consecration and piety you apply before God. These principles work in the world of men. Now, the Bible says, for example, when you're dealing with somebody above you, he said that if the spirit of the ruler rise up against you, I'm giving you an example. If the spirit of a ruler rise against thee, he says, leave not thy place. 
for yielding pacifieth great offenses. He didn't call them minor offenses. He didn't call them offenses. He called them great offenses. Let me explain what that means. Let's go back to God that set people ahead of you. In your home, your father and mother are ahead of you. They're your rulers. It doesn't matter what you will become. Up to today, my father can summon me and tell me, go do this and I must do it. Whether I am busy or not busy, because it's the spirit of the ruler. He has commanded. You see what I'm saying? Your parents are above you. Some of you in your workplaces, you have supervisors. From the first supervisor to everybody above you, they're your ruler. You know, in the world of men, you might find somebody who is maybe more advantaged than you are. They are richer than you. There, they rule. Whether you accept it or not, in your churches, you have your pastors, your men of God. Whether you want it or not, they have the rule over you. Paul calls it rule over you. You see, some of you should understand how divine order works in church. Your pastor is not your brother. No, no, no. Read Hebrews. Obey them which have the rule. Read the Amplified Version. Over you in the spirit. Continually, he says, recognizing their authority over you. That's Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your spiritual leaders and submit to them. Continually recognizing their spiritual authority over you. For they are constantly keeping watch over you, watching over your souls. The Bible says they watch over your souls. Guarding your spiritual welfare. Is somebody in this world guarding your spiritual welfare? Whether you accept it or you don't, there's a person who will know, who might know that you're going to die before you know. You see? That's just how God has ordained the spirit realm. You take it, you don't take it. No, my man, whatever. God has ordained the spirit realm like that. Because there's somebody accountable for you. The Bible says they'll render an account to God for you. When Cain killed Abel, God asked him, where is your brother? Isn't it? Who was the firstborn? Cain. By right, he was a ruler over his brother. God asked him, where is your brother? Then he asks, am I my brother's keeper? Duh. Even in your own homes, you always tell the eldest children, make sure your siblings have eaten. They have the rule over that. You see? And that's how life is supposed to be arranged. Now, one day, the spirit of a ruler, your pastor, in marriage, your husband. Equality, equality, don't get married. <laughs> Just chill and love on yourself where you are. You're okay. Besides, it's not sin. Listen, in marriage, it's your husband. It even gets to a person who is older than you in age. But now let's go to this order that you're able to understand. So one day, and the Amplified says it right. He says, if the temper of the ruler rises up against you, one day if somebody who is above you is mad at you. I'm just giving you an example. Your immediate boss has annoyed you. Your lecturer has annoyed you. Your mother has annoyed you. Your husband has annoyed you. He said no. The Bible says do not leave your place. In other words, do not forget that they are above you. Don't forget that. Because if you don't yield to that law, the Bible says you'll have great offense even if they are wrong. Be wise. Be wise. If you want to say no and you have to say no, say it in humility. Now, butterfly effect. Some of you cannot tell that the way you treated your manager in 2001 can explain why in 2022 you're still struggling to get a job. Because you don't contemplate. You cannot see. Ah, but I pray. Yeah, yeah. You do. 
You see, God is interested in the state of your heart. But he's forgiven me. Oh yes, you are forgiven. It's not about sin. No, it's not in the realm of sin principle. It's in the readiness of your next level. That's all. Are you ready? It's not about sin. You know, you're forgiven. But are you ready for your next level? You see what I'm saying? Are you ready for the next level of elevation? That's the question, fundamentally. And to do that, God tests and tries your heart to see the readiness of some things. Because it's not wisdom to take you in things that you're not ready to do. That's why fundamentally, he tells you, appoint not a novice. Least out of pride, he will what? He'll fall into condemnation of the devil. Isn't he gifted? Yeah, he's gifted, but he's a novice. He's not dying yet. Do not hastily lay hands on such a man because you have damnation before God. It's wrong. Why? The man was not ready for what he was entering. It's like getting a 12-year-old girl and taking her into marriage. Can you? Because you're speaking of the spirit of quickening. Quickening spirit. Fire. My daughter is getting married at 12. That is called quickening. No, no. You have a problem. You have a problem. You have a problem. This girl is still young. You don't betroth her at that age. You see what I'm saying? Because certain things come with maturation. They come with maturity. You see? That's now what separates bad and good and expedient and lawful. You see, again, it comes with the places of majority. As you grow with God, His conversations with you change. Paul says, to the weak I became weak, to them which are under the law, as one which is under the law, and to them which are not under the law, as one which is not under the law, but the balance of maturation, but not as one which is not under the law of Christ. You see? So if you found him among the law, you'd think he was a man under the law. But he's trying to become all things that he might save some. And you might meet him with a man which is also under the law, who can't tell the difference and they are all doing the law and ministering, but one man is in the maturity of redeeming many and another one is in the indifference of trying to grow into his place as God has ordained him. Ah, yeah, and to tell the difference. To tell the difference. To tell the difference of what I'm saying. Of course, I know there's people who are watching me and they're like, Sika take it dinner, yeah? Sorry, you don't need to understand with your mind. Your spirit is understanding. Now, let's go back to what I'm saying. But you cannot connect that the way you talked to your father one day has a ripple effect of why you're not married at 40. You might not see that difference because the church doesn't teach such things. And it's not in the realm of forgiveness. No. Some of you must understand. You see? You must understand. You get a man. You fight. You slap him. Pua, pua, pua. Your boyfriend. You're slapping your boyfriend. I've dealt with such cases. She has slapped her boyfriend. Then they say, this year you're getting married in Jesus' name. What are you going to... You understand? You're already beating your boyfriend. So when you marry, what will you do? Clobber? <laughs> so on the wedding day as they're walking, she's saying, I got a punching bag. I got a punching bag. I got a punching dun, 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 and she's doing like this dun, 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 dun. No, no, I know the story, very good, interesting story. This guy went to a marriage to marry a girl, and then they reached there, and on the wedding, the mother made a very subtle statement. She said, but I don't know whether you'll manage my daughter. 
Everyone was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Day of marriage. They enter the hotel that night. Cake lady calls. The money was not paid fully. Darling, I gave you all the money of the cake. You know, there was a First day. Welcome to our what? First day. They've just entered. The guy just... Cognitive dissonance. The brain now got ice. What am I to do? Do I run? Do I fight? Do I sit down? Do I talk? Do I divorce? Do I cancel? What do I do? It's like this. Hey, welcome to what? Marriage. Tell me I don't want those things. Hey, I tell you, era one day, one of those days, he jumped through a window. That's how the marriage, what? Ended. Butterfly effect. So you cannot tell that sometimes some of those little things you grew up, like I've seen, eh? some of you girls, you grow up in this family where, you know, your mom is also probably funny and she's aggressive a bit. And then you grow up and you get to a point of misunderstanding each other and start talking like your peers. And then one day you start answering your mother a way you should not answer her because you are around familiarity. But you're planting seeds that you don't expect will come with a harvest. And then you meet a lady telling that, ah, 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 mommy, no, 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 ah, ah, shut up, you're lying. <laughs> so you import that thing in marriage. No, 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 Paul, ah, ah, ha, ha, no. Wait. So some of you might never tell that what you're doing, how you're living, the things you're doing physically now have a effect of where you are in the years to come. You cannot see the difference. Now, that's the spirit of a ruler. Your mother was against you one day and slapped you. And what did you also do? You slapped her back. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. You see what I'm saying? Now, you might not know what you have done, but you have lost your place. And if you leave your place, now you cannot talk about positioning because certain things must find you. He that findeth a wife. You see, did you see what I just said? Because that wife found must be positioned. You can't have a conversation about positioning. You're not ready. That's the truth. You're not ready to handle a million dollars. That's the truth. You're already a problem with 20. You are already a problem with that second-hand Japanese car they've knocked on the road. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Then a Christian comes out, eh? <laughs> ah, yeah, 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 yeah. And then like now, if they knocked his range or his BMW, if they can knock a Pro Box. <laughs> and you come out of character. <laughs> Do you understand? So you must understand that there is a connection to these things. Now I'm talking about people who don't see that you can be carnally minded. You are so carnal. That's also being in the flesh. And many such things we have that many of us, we are so functional in the flesh. You agree with what you feel. You respond with what you think. You're just carnal. You understand the world as it is three-dimensionally. You don't see life outside that. You don't even know how the world works. Now's death. So back to what I was trying to teach so, when it comes to faith, faith is building you out of your flesh. Paul says, I beat my flesh every day to subjection, least after I have run 
this rest. Rest after I've preached to many or ministered to many. I myself should not be disqualified. He's trying to kill the fleshly man because there is nothing alive by the way of purpose and truth like dying to the flesh, not being conscious of the flesh and being alive in the spirit. That's where we should all be. So God tells you, learn to exercise yourself. Learn to always check yourself. Am I believing? And in examining yourself, you'll always be prompted to testing your faith. And in testing your faith, you'll always seek to evaluate how you have performed by the tests you have had because you examined yourself in the first place. I have a challenge, for example, I fear praying for the sick. I've examined myself. So what do I do? Let me test myself by going to pray for the sick. And what if 20 don't heal? Keep testing yourself. What if 30 don't heal? Keep testing yourself. You know, me, I've seen only three dead raised. But I remember before that first one came, which actually came so effortless, I prayed for people. One day they even brought a lady who was about to die. And I prayed for her and she died. The moment they drove out. Now the family thought, oh, bad, killed. I didn't even go to. Because I thought they might reach there and say the prayer of this man killed our mother. You understand? I even remember one time getting into this cold room and I'm telling this person to wake up and they can't. You looked around, nobody was seeing you. You said, wake up! Nuh-uh. But you keep doing it. You keep doing it. You keep doing it. You keep exercising yourself. <laughs> Glory to God. Oh my God. Ask these guys. Even as Fanero was growing, we put chairs. They don't fill them, we put them again. We put, they don't fill, we even buy more. I remember a time we lost 400 members and I bought another 400 chairs. We had an attack, somebody attacked us and we lost 400 members and I bought another 400 chairs. And I told, they are going to fill in two months and they filled in two months. You see what I'm saying? Because it's faith, that's what it is. You must live always on the edge of exercising. You should worry when nothing provokes you to believe. Worry, worry, worry. Because that means you're becoming political. Always live on the place of examining, test, evaluate. Hey, show forth the proper fruits of it. If it fails, keep doing it until it works. And the day that first lame man walks, you've conquered the world of the crippled. <laughs> Glory to God. The first day that dead man rises from the dead, you've conquered the world of the dead. I am not intimidated by a lame man. I don't care what lameness. I'm not intimidated by a blind eye. I don't care whether it was born. I'm not intimidated by some things. Actually, for me, the miracle that delayed most was eyes. I used to do every miracle. And I remember the first time an eye opened. It disturbed me a bit. You understand? But, oh, whenever you find somebody in the office, I feel sick, can I pray for you? Already offer. Don't wait. Glory to God. Keep it working, keep it working. Keep it. Father, in Jesus' name, I speak healing. Walk away. But take opportunity of everything that provokes your faith. That's exercising. Hallelujah. And as you're doing it, whether it works or it doesn't, you are building the muscle. You are building the muscle. If the business died tomorrow, go again and start it. And if it fails again tomorrow, go and say no. Until it works, you must be a fighter. We are not of them that draw back to petition, but we are of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So he says, you must examine whether you're holding on to your faith, not your brother's faith. Some of you live by the faith of your men of God. There are people you can pray for them. I pray for a lady. She was crippled. She walked. She went back home. 
Two days later, she became crippled again. What do you call that? That was my faith. But you can't live on the faith of other people. That means if they switch off, you're off. If they are not praying, you're dead. My pastor, if my pastor comes, what if I don't come? You die, nada. Go on the summon and switch it on and build yourself some faith and fix your disease. We cannot create a generation that is always dependent until the prophet enters. Heaven is closed. When the prophet has entered, now heaven is open because the prophet has entered. No, walk under open heaven. Glory to God. Whether the prophet or the apostle has come or he hasn't, walk under open heaven. Somebody shout amen. amen. In Exodus 17, verse 1, if you read from the Amplified Version, there's a congregation of the Israelites moving from the wilderness of sin. And the Bible says they move by stages. That's what I wanted to emphasize. They move by stages. Number one, how many of you know that they were not supposed to spend 40 years in the wilderness? That's what the Bible says. That when the children of Israel were led through by Pharaoh, Exodus 13, 17, they did not go through the land of the Philistines, although it was near, for God saw that by fear, peradventure, they might see the Philistines and repent and return back to Egypt. But if you look at the distance from the time they crossed the sea to the promised land, it was a 12 to 14 day journey. 12 to 14 day journey. But what was supposed to be a 12 to 14 day journey became 40 years. 40 of what was supposed to be a 12 to 14 what? day journey. It's a spirit of delay and its manifestation. And God is saying, even in that 40 years, I grew them in stages. Because God works in stages and phases. You understand what I'm saying? We grow in stages, we learn in phases. And some of you, you are in stages of whom you have not learned fully. Of whose phases you've not learned fully. Because every stage comes with its phases. You understand what I'm saying? So some people are in the next stage, but the first phase of it. Or some are in that stage, but the end phase of it. And they're about to enter the next stage. And now does that not shock you that even in the wilderness, that which used to look like a 40-day journey, God actually classified them in stages. And of those 40 years, the number 40 means trial. That means God was trying to prove them He's saying, the reason why you're here for 40 years instead of 14 days to go there, you're not yet ready. Your hearts are not yet ready. That's what he's saying. And that's what I'm trying to tell people. That no matter how much God loves you and how forgiven you are, you are either ready for certain things or you're not. No matter how righteous you are, you're either ready for marriage or not. It doesn't matter how wise you are, you're either ready to work or you're not ready. It has no bearing with the sin principle. Nada. You see what I'm saying? Even Job, in his righteousness, he was not ready for certain things. Yeah, Eliphaz the Temanite tells him. He tells him, you have instructed many. You have upholded many. You have strengthened many and upheld the weak and feeble knees. But now it has touched you, he says, and you are fainting and it has come upon thee and now you are troubled. Eliphaz is trying to tell Job that you're not supposed to act the way you're acting because I've seen you minister to people who are in your state. Anointing within and without. That there's a difference between what you think you have learned and what the anointing on your life can minister. There's a difference between what you think you understand in your spirit and what the gifting and talent on your life can give. And that can be so deceptive because I've seen gifted people which are not established within. 
And now Job confesses with his own mouth that the thing that I greatly feared has come upon me. I was not silent, I was restless, and it has come upon me. That means even in his righteousness, he was a man who was living in constant fear that one day his children would die, and they died. Was he righteous? Yes. But he was not ready for the next level. Separate those two. That's why the man has seen of all evil that he has seen under the sun, and he has seen a righteous man which perishes in his righteousness, and he has met an evil man which knoweth how to prolong his days. <laughs> the man is evil, but he understands the principle to prolong. And the man is righteous, but he is perishing in his righteousness. So it has nothing to do with your right standing. It has everything to do with wisdom and how you are aligned and positioned by principle and pattern. So he's saying, 40 years, I'm trying your heart to make sure and they all failed except Joshua and Caleb. By the time they get to the end of that wilderness, only their sons and daughters they had produced are the only ones that crossed with Joshua and Caleb. The Bible tells us that whole generation died. It died in the wilderness because of unbelief. Their faith was not constant. Somebody shout hallelujah. So some of you should also understand the stages that God moves with you even in your rebellion. That when you rebel, he will also stage you up. And he'll say, okay, even in your rebellion, I'm ready to go with you, but let's go here. Let me take you to this phase. Let me bring some frustrating thing. Let me bring some annoying person. Let me allow it for you to be a bit broke for a week. And the landlord knocks. The issue is not, I, I can supply all your needs, but we have an issue here that is not finished. And you cannot skip that stage. We need to go through that. And of the 40 years in the wilderness, 38 are around Mount Seir. There's a mystery there. Why 38 around one place? And you'll study that it's the biggest influence of delay on anybody I know. It touches the inheritance. Because remember, Seir was an inheritance of the Edomite. They fed under the blessing of Esau. Where was Jacob's blessing? These were the children of Jacob. Where was Jacob's blessing? How would they fall to a place where Esau started to feed them? Yet by God, Jacob was ahead and above Esau. How did it change? It touches inheritance. That is why if you never understand the law of inheritance and how it works, you will do in 20 years what others do in two months. Mark my words. You'll do in 40 years what others do in two days. Mark my words. And then you start breaking the spirit of pleasure. Hey, Daniel saw it for 21 days. 21 days are not equal to 30 years. Some of you, if you examine yourself, you've been dealing with something that is old. It's old. It's not new. It's old. Perhaps it even extends to great-grandfathers. It's only even the new creation, which is not supposed to carry that. But you're still dealing with that same old thing. You see what I'm saying? And the power to be able to break that and progress to the next level. 38 years around one mountain. God has told him, you've been around here for so long. Please move. Are you following what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying? So he's telling them, even with your delay, I'm going to put stages on you. And those stages are going to be phases with learning because you refused the right pattern and way. And now you choose the longer one. And some of us, we must understand what's costing you right now is you were never patterned right. It's a hard one. It's a hard one, but it's true. So he says, according to the commandment of the Lord, they moved in stages according to the commandment of the Lord. 
and encountered Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So the people contend with Moses and they said, give us what? Water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, why do you find fault with me? Why do you tempt the Lord and try his patience? Now that's a man who's already annoyed. Again, you remember? Emotions. And do you know that this man was raised with anger? You remember the issue I was talking about? He was an angry fellow. He had a very bad temper. His temper is on Aaron and Miriam. They rise against him. God judges both. <laughs> but he forgets that he has not dealt with it. Temper. You understand? Now, at the point where he kills a man and buries him in the dust, the scriptures tell us God never spoke to him for 40 years because of one act of anger. And after those 40 years, God appears to him, but he's not ready. And it's the same anger that is stirred by the children of Israel. And then he smites a rock he was supposed to speak to and his destiny, his assignment and mandate are cancelled because he had not fixed himself. Some of you waste a lot of time on other people. You should invest a lot fixing you. It fix you. Hallelujah. So they tell him, bring us water. Sorry, that was a by the way. But the people thirsted there for water and the people murmured against Moses and said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and the children and our livestock to die of thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, what should I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. Imagine they wanted to stone him. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people and take with you some elders of Israel, take in your hand the rod and then smite the river and go and I'll stand before you there on the rock of Mount Horeb and you shall strike the rock and out of it shall come water and people will drink. And so Moses went in the sight of all these people, did exactly what he had done and the Bible says, the water came out. He called the place Massah, meaning proof, and Meribah, meaning contention, because of the fault finding of the Israelites. And because they tempted and tried the patience of the Lord, saying, is the Lord with us? What do you mean, Israel? They are asking, is the Lord with us? What do you mean? I came with Moses and Aaron and Miriam, and I made plagues upon plagues for Pharaoh, to release you. You were released, you got on the sea and I parted those waters and you walked through as dry ground. You crossed through like that in just seconds as Moses goes up to the mountain to seek me. You've already built a molten image, a graven calf of a fallen God and he has to break the tablets and go back to seek more, for, to repent on your behalf, to intercede for you. And you're saying I was not with you. I was the rock that gave you water. I was the cloud that covered you by day. I was the light that came by night. None of your clothes grew old. None of your shoes wore out. None of you was weak nor feeble. And you can ask whether the Lord is with you. Oh, but you can blame Israel. You've not examined yourselves. I put this light on you. Because some of you, if you look back in your past, God has done too much to doubt Him. But you have believers who have believed God and, and they saw things. Some of you have seen miracles. You have seen signs. You have seen wonders in your personal lives or even in the ministry. Some of you are here. You have seen the lame walking, the blind see, the deaf hear, the dumb speak. And then somebody walks to you who has been under you for 10 years and they tell you, I don't believe when I'm going to be healed. Wow, where am I to begin from? You've lost your faith. 
Remember how that job came. Remember how that man came. Remember how your first child came. Remember how your ministry began. Remember what God did to propel you to the next place of deliverance. Remember that time when you were not going to break through. You knew everything was gone. You're still breathing. Remember that day when your business sank to zero and now you're breathing again and walking. God has done so much for you. But like Israel, they can see all of that and still ask, is the Lord among us? Is the Lord among us? That's what God is telling us. To avoid that kind of blasphemy, that kind of insult. Let me tell you, that grieved the Lord. It grieves the Lord when you get to a point and you're not able to exercise the very faith that worked through you. That's why I tell people, in the powers you should lose, never lose the power that brought it in the first place. For me, even when I'm in trouble, I always go back to how did it begin? The very power that began Fanero. I know how to access it and apply it to grow it under any circumstance. Because I know that power that took you on that altar and put you into that marriage. Believe in it, it can sustain you. Always draw back to it. That's faith. God is telling us, don't just wake up in the morning and you wreck you. You're falling into pieces, but you're the same. I've seen, I've been in church for long. This person was on the streets. They even prayed for a lame person in Wandega and the lame person walked and then you find that same person. They are zero. There's nothing of faith in them. And that is why people like that, I always tell people, for example, you look, you're in stage one, right? Then you go to stage two. Hmm? And then as you continue growing in the spirit, you enter stage three. But then you have not exercised yourself in the wisdom to function in stage three. And eventually you say or do something that throws you back in stage two. And then you got offended that you were thrown from stage three to stage two, like a child who has been demoted in class. And then you go back to stage one because of anger and frustration and depression. And some of you, you even leave stage one and go back into Egypt. Then you have those ones who are like this. Stage three, stage two. Stage three, four, five. Stage three, stage four. Stage two, stage three, four, five. Stage seven, stage one. Stage two, you understand? Those are the ones you find, eh? And even the person you've seen confessing right, believing right, they just one time break before you and say, I am tired. Of course, you have been... Activity. People who are stuck in one stage are not tired. They're complacent. They're comfortable. They are okay where they are. When you find a Christian who is tired, I'm tired of believing God for marriage. I'm tired. I've asked for a job, Apostle. That tiredness eh, means that there was activity stage four to three, stage four to two, stage four, five, six to one. And some of it's so easy to break you. You can confess right and when you just about the fuck you're breaking through. Some random thought gets into your head at 3 a.m. And tomorrow you're seeking for an appointment to bleed before a sister. And then you sit down and tell us something that makes you look so stupid with heaven. I'm sorry to use the language. You understand? Like, you know somebody who is just at the verge of breaking through? Then they go for counseling and they say, I think I'll never marry. Aha, uh -huh. doesn't it sound so stupid? <laughs> From, but when they're pronouncing, this year, you even get slain, pa, and adjust your wig. <laughs> ah, yeah, 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 yeah. But now your screams are not working because the real you is coming out. You had not learned anything. Somebody shout hallelujah.
Hebrews tells us in verses 8, chapter 3, Harden not your hearts in provocation, in the day of temptation, as in the day of the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works for 40 years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation, and I say they do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Underline the word ways. So I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. So take heed. You see, them which believe have entered into rest. We are not tired because there is a rest in the move. The perfect life is like this. You understand? When you run, God will bring you to rest. You see? The Bible says, they that wait upon the Lord shall what? See that mystery. They shall renew what? Their strength. You read this. They shall mount up with wings as what? As eagles. So they that wait on the Lord, He has given us the picture of them beginning from flight. You see? And then they shall run so they have landed. And then they walk. You see? You see that from flying to running, like somebody landing on a parachute, you see? Come flying and then they land, run, and then they walk, you see? So he says, they shall mount up on wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. If you're tired, you're not progressing. You're going front and backward. And when a man flies, runs, and walks, what's the next place? Rest, you see? Rest. That's an effortless life. So God says, Take heed therefore, lest there be any of you with an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. You see, you're not evil because you stole or lied. Or no, you're evil because you don't believe. And he tells you, exhort one another daily while it is still called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. You win because you have learned to be consistent in your faith. Don't be in today and tomorrow you're shatter. Don't believe today and then people find you on the street and you say, I don't even believe in God. What? Hallelujah, glory to God. Come on, let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. What gift of life is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He's my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deepest boundless this I hope, my hope is only Jesus, for my life is only back to Him. Oh, how sweet and divine I can see, all is mine, yet not Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, let's talk to God. The night is done, but I am not forsaken. For by my side, 
ask for one thing those of you who are not born again and you want to give your life to Jesus Christ say Lord Jesus I thank you because you shed your blood for my sins and you were raised for my glory today I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior I'm born again amen this sermon has been brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number plus 256-200-999400 or email us at info at You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Follow us on our social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fenero Ministries International. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowship at the Uma Upper Gardens from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. and for our Sunday services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at the Uma Multipurpose Hall. Fenero, make manifest.